Thank you so much for this morning that we have to look into your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, I just got to be honest. Um, after looking at these passages and, and getting ready to speak today, it's um, I was just very humbled by by your great love for us. I'm very humbled by the fact that um, you use regular people. You don't you don't use superstars to change the world, Lord. You use regular people every day rubbing elbows with people around them to bring people to Christ. Um, I thank you so much, Lord, that you love us. And God, I just think about... Um, I just think about your goodness, and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit overwhelmed, Lord. And I just confess, Lord, that I haven't spent as much time with you as I need to. Um, I haven't pressed in to chase after you like I should. Um, and not to say that because I want to be some um, some superstar that people look to, Lord, but I want to be somebody that's found in you, that's not found in my job, that's not uh, not known by all the amazing accolades I could I could uh, accomplish if I put my heart and my soul to it, Lord. I want to be known uh, by people as somebody that loves you. I want my life to be marked by loving you. I'm so quickly so quickly set aside to things that don't matter even nearly as much. So I just pray for the time that we have this morning as we look into your word. I pray that you would use your word to, to mold us and to shape us. Um, Lord, we need you. Our flesh kicks against the things that it needs. And just pray that you would use this time to, to mold us and to shape us and to, to vessels that you can use for your glory. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you guys would open your Bibles with me, we're continuing our study in Second Corinthians, and we will be starting chapter 11 today. We'll actually be going through the whole chapter 11. It's good to see everybody this morning. Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there who is mothers. If you, do have, if you have kids upstairs, there's going to be a little, little something special for you from the kids, so, don't, so if you walk out with a kid and you don't get anything, something went awry. <laughs> so uh, just keep your eye out for that. Um. What, what am I doing teaching this morning? This, this, is all, this is a weird church where we don't have one guy always teaching every Sunday. It's, you come in and it's like Russian roulette, who's going to be teaching? Um, and, and why was Michael leading worship? As you know, for most of you that have been here more than once, you know that normally I'm holding the guitar and singing at the beginning of the service and a lot of times at the end of the service. Uh, Michael's very gifted in that as well, so it's awesome. He, he uh, uh, took his opportunity to sing this morning and to lead in worship. Um, I, I, my name's Derek, if you don't know me. I'm one of the elders here at One Hope Church. We have four elders. Uh, we don't have a lead pastor. We don't have a main pastor. We want our lead pastor and our main pastor to be Jesus Christ. Uh, why, do we, why are things set up that way? That's how we see things in Scripture with the local churches. Once they're established and they're self-governing, we don't see anybody ever referred to in the New Testament as, as a lead pastor. Not to down churches that have a lead pastor, not saying that good things don't happen there or that we are perfect or somehow have attained some uh, super church status. No, we're sitting here in, in, a, in a basement, but we're sitting here with the Spirit of God working in our lives and moving. We want to be molded and shaped not by, our, not by our culture. We want to be molded and shaped by Jesus Christ. The reason I'm speaking to you today is to demonstrate, not because I'm the best speaker out of the four of us that are elders here. Not, I'm not the best speaker by a mile, but it's really to demonstrate to you the priesthood of all believers. You don't have to be somebody special to share something. You don't have to, be, you don't have, to have a degree or an education in, in, in biblical study in order to have... Uh, in order to have insight into Scripture, God uses everybody, uh, and so that's really to demonstrate. The reason I'm teaching this morning um, is not out of convenience; it's not for anything else, but really to demonstrate to you the priesthood of all believers. Um, so that being said, we've been going through Second Corinthians. We've been going through all kinds of awesome teaching, uh, learning Paul's heart for the for the church, uh, learning. Uh, orderliness and worship, learning all kinds of good things. Now, we're making a big switch here on Mother's Day to talk about false teachers. What a great tie-in for Mother's Day. It's awesome how these things land perfectly. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. 
We're, we've been teaching through 2 Corinthians. We went through 1 Corinthians before that. One of the reasons that we go through, I, I guarantee you, if somebody was to pick a chapter of the Bible just to teach for, for what somebody could get out of it, they wouldn't pick Second uh, uh, Corinthians 11 saying, man, that's just a powerful verse. There's, there's some things in there that are tricky. There's some things in here that don't make sense necessarily on the first read through. But the, one of the reasons that we go through books of the Bible in order is to take, we, have, we look at all the, the, the difficult stuff, too. We rub elbows and have to, have to fight through the passages um, that aren't the ones that get quoted you know, on bumper stickers all the time. And so this is actually for our benefit that we get to read this and see Paul's heart for the church and get to see what has happened to the church. And this is really a historical narrative here that we, we get to see some, uh, looking back at some of the things that happened. Um, and it's, it's just going to be a powerful time for us this morning, I do believe. But before we, uh, before we start in chapter 11, if we would, let's look at the last verse of chapter 10. So we see we've gone through a whole lot of teaching already here in 2 Corinthians. And right before we get into this chapter, Paul says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but it is the one whom the Lord commends. Now he's setting, he's setting up this next section because with chapter 11... We come to see Paul's, uh, uh, in Paul's letter that it doesn't include much in the way of doctrinal teaching. This, uh, in this section, we do not read about Paul teaching about how to follow Christ, not about prayer, not about orderliness and worship. Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians features Paul responding to this specific situation. It's a sad situation. The Corinthian church has let false teachers into their midst. And these men set themselves up as apostles. They call themselves apostles. They consider themselves even more qualified to be apostles than Paul. And now Paul finds himself in the awkward situation of having to defend himself as an apostle, which is something he obviously doesn't enjoy doing. But it is something that he has to do for the sake of the Corinthian church and for the sake of the gospel. We do not know exactly for sure who these people are. Paul doesn't even spend time addressing what necessarily these heresies were that they were teaching or these false teachings that they were teaching. doesn't even bother with all of that. Um, we're going to go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and go through the chapters and keep in mind just the background. Now, now the, sad, the sad truth is we see, we're going to see false teachers in the church here, but that's um, now us looking back 2,000 years, unfortunately that's not, this isn't an anomaly. Um, the history is full of churches that are littered with examples of people that are disloyal to the gospel of Christ, false teachers or all around us, even in our culture today, all you have to do is turn on the radio, drive down the street, and uh, open Facebook for sure, and you'll see you know, some people are teaching salvation from works, people are teaching salvation from traditions of men, and most false teachers preach a different Christ than the one we see in Scripture. Um, so as a church, we need to be on our guard. But let's go ahead and read 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to be reading here... Um, out of the New King James Version. So if you've got some different words, you know what I'm, I'm looking at here. Verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow... As a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we uh, have not preached, or if you received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Verse 5, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. We have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself, that you may be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you, and indeed I was a burden to no one, for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep... Myself, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity 
to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, uh, but as it were foolishly in the confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise, and you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame I say that we were too weak for that, but in, but in whatever... Anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the Abraham's seed? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak like a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily... My concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under uh, Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of of the uh, Damascenes with the garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through the window in a wall and escaped from his hands. Amen. So some of that you may read and say, wow, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense right off the bat. So that, some of that's pretty uh, confusing. Let's, we're going to hop in and take this kind of verse at a time and see what's going on here. So let's start here with verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. Now you hear him talking about the folly and talking like a fool throughout this, uh, throughout, this, uh, throughout this chapter, Paul's having to defend himself against other apostles that are, that are in Corinth saying that Paul's not a true apostle, we're better at it, and they're trying to supplant him. So he has to defend himself, including his humility. And how, how, how easy is it to defend your own humility? He knows it's, you know, uh, it's, it's folly, but, he, but, the, but these false teachers have forced his hand. The stakes are high. And the church in Corinth is in grave danger. So Paul is willing to, to be foolish uh, if it's going to rescue his Corinthians, uh, his brothers and sisters there from these false teachers. Verse 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste version to Christ. That phrase, uh, godly jealousy, could also be translated in the Greek there, the jealousy of God. We know uh, the commandment, you should have no other gods before me. Our God is a jealous God. He desires us. But this is not an evil human jealousy. This is a righteous jealousy. And this is what Paul's talking about. And Paul uses this metaphor of a marriage. Uh, and this metaphor is um, very specific in, in what is what with this metaphor. And we've got to understand also marriages in, in the culture at this time. There was two different things. There was betrothal and nuptial when there was a marriage. So when people got engaged, sometimes it would be from different places or the same town. Once people got engaged, betrothed, whether that was a wedding that was set up by family or if that was people that got together and decided they were going to get married, the husband would go away for some time and prepare a place for them to stay, whether it was adding on to his father's house or making a new place. And we see this in, in, in the New Testament. Even Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And we see the picture numerous times in the New Testament of 
the church of Christ being the bride and Jesus being the bridegroom. And Paul's making a, a similar analogy here. But in, his, in the metaphor he's using here, the church is the bride, Christ is the husband, They've been betrothed by a, a salvation. They're, they're, they're going to be together in uh, perfect unity and eternity. But Paul wants to be the father of the bride who's keeping his bride safe, keeping his daughter safe, whom he loves for this period of time. And he wants to hand him off uh, to, to the spouse, the bridegroom, and be able to say, you know, she was faithful, um, she was protected, and in, in, uh, in, in, in be married when that wedding happens, but there's two problems here. Well, there's a big problem here that the Corinthians have already shown that they're easily seduced, and Paul is having the pain of a father seeing his daughter being seduced before, he, before she is given to the bridegroom. Verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And, and Paul is afraid and rightly afraid from what he's already seen. I love that he puts maybe corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, our, our faith is a simple faith. It's not, hard to, it's not hard to get. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a, a, you don't have, to be, have a doctorate in, a, in some sort of science. You don't have to be the smartest person in the world. You can be lowly. You can be regular. You can be a farmer, you can be, a, you can be a, a physicist, you can be whatever you want to be, but the truth of the gospel is very simple. What God desires from us are, is very simple as well. And when people try to come up with new ideas and present new truths, a lot of times these things get corrupted. And Paul uses here, um, uh, this is interesting, he talks back to Eve, the first mother. So there we go, we tie in Mother's Day, <laughs> Eve, the first mother. No, no, I wasn't planning to do that. Uh, it's interesting, but we've got to understand here, too, why Paul is using this. Here, he's saying that the, that the church is like Eve. In, in this story of Adam and Eve, you know, Eve is deceived, Adam willfully sins. So you've got somebody that's, uh, that made a mistake and somebody that is just outright sinning. We see in 1 Corinthians people that know what's, something's wrong, and they're just doing it anyway. That's more straight-up Adam's sin. And we have here... Eve, the sin of Eve, who will not necessarily sin. She was confused and, and let all these things happen when she shouldn't have. Um, let's go ahead and I just want to read very, a very short portion of Genesis chapter 3 so we can understand what Paul's getting at. In verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord has made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of the tree of the garden? Now it doesn't say in, in, here in Genesis that it, that is the devil, but we find in other places in Scripture that this is indeed the devil. So the snake is coming and talking to Eve. And the first thing he says is he puts a question out there, a seed of doubt. And so many times if somebody is trying to... Uh, take over or trying to introduce something that is incorrect or another Jesus. A lot of times it starts with a question. Sometimes they're good questions. Somebody asks you a tough question. Like, Jesus, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a tough question. But this is kind of how we see this happen. The serpent comes here and asks a question. Uh, did God really say it was not Eve regarding this tree? Was, was, that, was that what it was? Is that what we heard? And, and Eve answers rightly. He tells her, well, I'm pretty sure I heard. This is what I heard. Let me tell you. It says, we may eat of the fruit. Uh, of the trees of the garden, but God, but God did say you must not eat of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, and you must t- not touch it or you will die. I have rightly understood this, I'm pretty sure. And then this, this uh, snake says, well, you won't surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Eve is in the situation of, well, you know, I've got some information before, Maybe I didn't have the whole picture. Maybe there was some agenda there. I want to be like God. You know, he's, he's awesome. Um, she's, she's genuinely confused. And what's this about sin and death? Would God really let somebody die for eating a fruit? She looks at it, and it looks good to eat. doesn't look like something that's going to be poisonous. Not that she knows what that means, because it's not like anybody's ever died. Uh, or, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. She has this new insight. Wait, so if I eat this... It's not so much that I'm going to die, but I'm going to have this new insight and will be more like God. And Satan knows exactly what he's doing when he does this. He need, all he needs is to get Eve 
to try to become like God, and then she's going to be out of paradise. Satan knows perfectly because the same thing happened to him. And so he's a, trick, he's a tricky dude. He knew exactly what he was doing. But Paul is saying that the church now is like Eve. They're getting this new information, and instead of saying, no, 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 no. You're raising what question? No, we don't, no, we don't need this. They're entertaining these things and letting these things in and are seduced like Eve, not because they want, they're not like, hey, let's all let some heretics in here and let's, let's talk about a different Jesus altogether. That would be a great idea. We've got one Jesus. Why don't we have five? Let's, let's have some people come in and try to teach us something different. No, these people are slipping in and confusing them, and, and that's, what is, that's what has happened here. So it's a, it's a scary thought. The, the sad thing about it is, man, it's all too familiar. Man, our, church, our churches throughout history, uh, the, there's so many churches that have been picked off uh, by Satan's deceitfulness. It's nothing new. I want to read for us um, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. The sad thing is that you know the, the threat of false teachers was a, a problem here in the very first century, and it is a big problem even now. Um, false teachers are a threat, and spiritual warfare is also real. In verse 3, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish what? We demolish arguments, every pre, uh, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God. There's, an, there's a very large aspect of spiritual warfare, which is cutting through the crap and having discernment. A lot of times we don't think of that as spiritual war, uh, warfare, but that is a large part of it. It's a large part of it. Going on to verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You may well put up with it. Other translations say, you bear this beautifully. So somebody walks right in here with something completely different. You're like, oh, this is cool. Maybe they're, maybe they're thinking, uh, you know, this is, we're just going to have a little diversity. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I have no idea what was, what was going through their minds at the time. Um, but Paul says, you know, these things might just happen and you might just might let, it, might let it ride. We don't know the particular about these false apostles again. Uh, most likely they were teaching another Jesus or a version of Jesus that wasn't absolutely correct. Um, and it's really scary to think that the church may have been receiving a spirit that wasn't the Holy Spirit. They were receiving a different spirit. I mean, man, that's a frightening thought. If somebody was teaching of, of another spirit and they let him right in there to teach. You know, the church, they should have said no to these quote-unquote apostles. We have one Christ. We've heard the truth about him. We didn't misunderstand. We're not going to be deceived by your tricks. Verse 5. For I consider that I am not inferior to these most eminent apostles, to the most eminent apostles. This eminent apostles can be translated super apostles. Um, and it's most likely that this was some sort of designation that these false teachers had that were coming in here. Um, this is not referring to the 12. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul refers to, refers to himself as the least of the apostles, um, noting that he uh, persecuted the church before he became an apostle. So this isn't talking about the 12. This is talking about these guys that have snuck in here and set themselves up as apostles. And uh, Paul's saying, might not be perfect, but I'm, not, I'm at least not inferior to those jokers. You know? um, so he, he, he's very careful when he's contrasting himself um, through these scriptures, but he, he's, he's making no bones about it. I'm at least on the level of them. Uh, you know, Paul's not trying to gain back fans. He's trying to expose in the coming verses the false teachers for the sake of Christ. And, and who were these troublemakers? What, what do we, we don't know a whole lot about them, but they were probably people that were very strong-willed. They were probably people that were very, very well-educated. They were probably natural leaders. You know, maybe they, had, they grew up, maybe they grew up, it doesn't say, I'm just, just for speculation's sake, maybe there were people that grew up uh, with a strong knowledge of the Old Testament. Maybe they were Hebrews. Maybe they heard about Christ and had converted to quote unquote Christianity, but Jesus really hadn't gotten a hold of their heart. And they, I'm just, I'm just speculating. Maybe they go in and see this place in Corinth and how everything's running. And they're like, man, they got some weak leaders. We could, we could do a better job than that. They need, they need us. Look, we can do. All right, guys. Let's, let me tell you. And some of the things you were taught, 
look, I talked to my friend over here and he told me this and what you're, you know, this is wrong, but we can present it well. We can make strong arguments. We can make worldly arguments. And while we're at it, man, if we're going to lead these folks and do a good job and have this church be the awesomest church that it could be, we might as well get paid well for it. You know, we're worth it. We're professionals. We're worth it. I mean, who knows? But these people that come in here, you know, a lot of times we, I think about, we think about false teachers and we use false teachers and we think about like somebody with like a pitchfork and horns running around. But they're real, you know, people that are spreading things that are false are real people with, that really think they're right sometimes and really have very bad motivations. The problem is they're not led by, by Christ. Even though, uh, verse 6, even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I'm not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. If we look back at chapter 10, verse 10, 2 Corinthians, For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and, uh, and his speaking amounts to nothing. So some people are saying that about Paul. His, his, you know, and they might as well be saying, you know, he's got these weighty letters, but he's ugly, and he can't speak well, in, and you know, he's, not, he's not a good candidate. For, for, you know, we're not putting him in the running. Um, and likely these people that are coming in were, you know, were very well trained in maybe Greek public speaking. Uh, they were great with public delivery, probably looked good while they were doing it. And people said, now that's a strong leader. That's somebody I can get behind. Greeks worshipped eloquence. The Greek philosophers and sophists of this time charged for their teaching. If you were to go to Agora and somebody was teaching, it wasn't like it was like free open thought for everybody. It was like, oh, you want to hear what I have to say? It's going to cost you this much. And it was well known that if a, if a, spe- a spe- you know, speaker was worth his wages, if he could command a higher price, it was worth it. And this was a form of entertainment. People enjoyed rhetoric and hearing people make strong arguments. And this is in Corinth, which, is, uh, which, was, a, which was a hub of this type of thing. So Paul is apparently not super cultural relevant in his teaching. <laughs> uh, and, it's, and it's being a problem here. But Paul's concerned about substance. He's not concerned about form. He wants them to know what things that are right. In verse 6, you know, it's, it's, Paul seems to be saying, you know, they may talk pretty, but I do know what I'm talking about. And he goes in here to verse 7. Did I commit a sin by humbling myself that you may be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge? You know, maybe the false teachers drew Paul into question because he was an amateur. He didn't charge for what he was teaching. And Paul had already told um, the church why he was doing this in, um, in 1 Corinthians 9, 3-19. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can read it later. But Paul is, 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 is specifically not accepting pay uh, from the Corinthians when the church was being formed. Paul spent two years in, in Corinth teaching the gospel, preaching. People came to know the Lord, and the church started. And he was there with this young church um, on one of his missionary journeys for two years until it was established. But he, while he was there, he wasn't charging them. He, he, he could have. Um, he had every right to say, you know, I'm working full-time here. I'm, I'm working very hard, at least, you know, food to eat and a, and a roof over my head. But he worked, he, worked his, you know, he worked his tail off in this time so the gospel could go forward. And then he also took his own time to be a tent maker and raise his own funds. And now you've got these other guys coming in here saying, well, this guy, you know, if he's not charging, they're very likely, they're coming in saying, if he's not charging a fee, then how much is it worth? Or, or maybe he's trying to say, if he wouldn't accept your money, maybe he doesn't love you. They're, they're making some sort of argument and somehow won over the people on this argument. He's like, look at everybody else in Greece. If, if they've got something worth saying, they're going to charge you for it. If he's, if he's just coming in here not... I don't know what their arguments are, but they're slick, and, they're, and, and these people are you know, probably profession, professional um, speakers, know rhetoric, know how, to, know how to come in and milk people of their money. Money often drives false teachers. Side note, see televangelists. You know, oh, man, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't even. Oh. Yeah, anyway. Um, I have a hard time turning on the TV and, and seeing people ask for money and... and, and it's, it's your ministry is you being on television asking for money, and that's your ministry, and then a whole bunch of people give you all their money, and it's just it's, it's very strange. Now, there are people that use media tools to reach people for the gospel, and it's awesome when people do that, um, but it's, it's also sad when we see people robbing others in that way. Very sad. Speaking of robbing... Verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister 
to you. That's a that's a weird thing. Like he, he wasn't sneaking in there in the middle of the night with you know a black mask on, you know, t- taking money out of coffers from other churches. We'll see here in verse nine what what he means. The people that were giving to him from other churches, when when he was working in Corinth to set up the church, he was also being supported at times from other churches that had already been set up, and some of those people were incredibly poor, and they were still sending money for the work of God. Uh, it was kind of the pattern of Paul's ministry to receive money from established churches, but not to receive money when he was in a place preaching and teaching before the church is established, which is, a, which is, which is wise. And we, as a, as a church, there's one hope. We get to give a lot of money each month or, or a fair amount of money each month to mission work in Mexico. We get to, uh, from our friends in Mexico, Veracruz and Rio Blanco, and all these missionaries that are going out into the mountains to places where there aren't churches, and we get to help support them as they go and help set up churches in places where there not there aren't churches. And our and our goal and our hope is to see Christ work in people's lives, so that people would come to know Christ in the mountains, that they would have churches and leaders that can lead those churches and be self sufficient. In the meantime, we've got funds; they got people to go. We can make this happen, and it's we're, we are blessed, and it's awesome to be in the position to be able to help God's work in that way. Um. Verse 9, and when I was present with you, this is talking about uh, when the church was being set up and he wasn't uh, receiving funds, and in need, do they even know that he was in need? Apparently he was in need at times. I was, a, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Macedonia is in northern Greece. There's a number of churches in that area. Um, I'll just read really quickly 2 Corinthians 8. So this is just back a couple of chapters. In verse 8 it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God uh, has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urged urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. So Paul's here with the folks in Corinth and these people that are already poor, a church where there's people that are already struggling to put food on the table for them and their family, are gathering money and sending it to Paul while he's doing the work in, Corinthians, in Corinth. Which is, that's just, that's just powerful. That's why I think Paul felt, felt a little bit like he was robbing these people that are poor just so he can survive and continue God's work. There's a little bit of sarcasm, obviously, involved, too. Um, and then we see, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in Philippians 4.14, if you want to mark it down, we see there that Paul, Paul writing to uh, uh, the Philippians about his work in Macedonia, and they're, so they're supporting him while he's in Macedonia working. So it's, it's pretty neat to see the circle there in different verses. But Paul, was, Paul apparently was in need. He was working, supplying, uh, you know, he was supporting himself, spreading the gospel, and at times he was even in need, but still did not bother uh, to take money from the Corinthian church because he didn't want anything to be a hindrance to the gospel. Verse 10, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Verse 11, Why? Because I do not, uh, because I do not love you? God knows I do. Paul's love for the Corinthians drives him to hurt for them. And, I don't, and he's contrasting that with the fact that some of these people are coming in here um, accepting money and fees and are, are, are doing all this, are, that are being leaders but aren't leading well. They might be strong leaders. They might, people around might look and be like, hey, your church now, you guys got a real strong leader there. That's so-and-so. He's somebody. But at the same time, he doesn't bleed and hurt for the church like Paul does. And I think the Corinthians know this about Paul. In verse 12, but, but what I do... I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Paul contrasts himself with the false apostles in humility, truth, and love. The false teachers are marked by pride, deception, and hate, as we see in the coming verses. Verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. What did you expect? You know, like I said, false, 
false teachers are not coming in with pitchforks. Like, hey, we're gonna, we want to wreck things. Is that okay? And then everybody lets them in. That's, that's, not how, that's not how it works. These are intelligent, persuasive, great leaders. But they're not going to get away with this. Their end will be according to their deeds. Verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. And the whole idea of defending himself is, is foolish but necessary. You know, Paul's saying, I have to do it. You know I have to do it. And, and so I do it even though it's not natural for me. Paul here is, is forced to defend himself even in his humility, uh, like I said, which is, how, how do you defend your humility? You know, uh, read the book I wrote, Six Steps to Humility and How I Got There. And it's a self-defeating, it's a self-defeating act. But actually, as we unpack kind of what goes through the, re- the rest of this, this chapter, he really, does, he really does show his humility, um, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, and Paul knows too that generally boasting is, is selfish and fleshly, uh, but his apostolic credentials have been under attack by these false teachers. Verse 17 What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, as it were, uh, foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Verse 18 Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. You know, what a statement. He's even saying here, I'm, 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 I'm boasting, but this is not from the Lord. This is me having to do this. This is not God's teaching to you about how awesome I am. You know, he's making a clear distinction here. He's not following the example of Christ. Christ was humble. He was meek. He wasn't a self-promoter. And Paul's having to self-promote. Um, but, he, but he makes the caveat here. This is, I'm not speaking according to the Lord. He's not, he's not uh, emulating his Savior. He's doing what, what is necessary in this situation. Um, and Paul's not saying that all of his words are not from God, some people use this verse to say, well, you know, Paul is just teaching this whole chapter, you know, what he thought, you know, was his opinions, but this isn't authoritative. We, we've got to shy away from that very quickly. We've got, we've got to, we, we can't accept that. If we look in Second Peter verse 3, we see Peter writing about Paul's letters. Verse 15, he says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of scriptures. So um, we've got to recognize, too, that Scripture commenting on Scripture here. Paul's, uh, Paul's writings here are authoritative. He does have apostolic authority. Verse 19. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourself are wise. Man, that's some sarcasm. He's saying all these things like, well, you, know, you put up with fools, put up a little, a little more foolishness. You guys are smart. You know, it's obvious he's, uh, he's, being, he's being sarcastic here. But you know, Christians can be duped, and true believers can be influenced. And we're not... We're not immune to being to being duped or from being influenced. And you know, and in our time, false teachers have it easy. Man, it's easy, easy here. You don't have to weasel your way into a church or into a pulpit to to disseminate false teaching. We have cable channels, we have Facebook. There are many ways to get famous and rich without having to uh, actually rub elbows with anybody. You know, Facebook is kind of the new street corner of our generation where people preach all kinds of of crazy ideas. You know, some false teachers. Uh, okay, some false teachers today really you come out claiming to be claiming to be truth seekers. We're just trying to, you know, we just want to, we want a safe place where people can ask questions and we can all seek the truth together. You know, they have multitudes of avid followers, and they don't have to worry about purchasing a place or secure con- compound for cult meetings. You know, they raise very difficult questions without really wanting an answer. We don't want to answer. They sow doubt like the serpent did, we saw in Genesis. They desire for faith to be completely open-ended. You know, we don't want answers, we want questions. As if, you know, faith cannot be reasonable without completely understanding it. Eve was lacking understanding. She was right where she needed to be. (laughs) Uh, If you don't know all the answers, you're probably in a pretty good place. (laughs) You know, how many people 
have come to faith, you know, through efforts of people like these, raising questions. Well, you know, we, that's, that's, here's another hard question. How can God be good in this chapter of this? How do we know if the chapter is right? Because, of the, like, people raising all kinds of very difficult questions, not wanting an answer at all, but wanting to help people doubt. And how many people have come to faith? How many people have said, you know what, I was a terrible sinner, and now you know what, I've read your stuff, and you know what, I feel like I'm going to give my life to Christ and let him transform me. That doesn't happen through, through those, those means. Those are not from Christ. Those are not, that's not how the church is supposed to operate. That's not what, uh, what Christ desires. Um, you know, there's, there's an insidiousness, and there really is, to making people doubt on purpose. And yes, these people sell books. They get wildly popular. They claim not to be teachers, but they write books and they write daily blogs and have thousands of people reading what they write every day. You are a teacher. And if you're not giving answers, but you're giving questions to make things more difficult and you're you know, changing the nature of Christ, I think that Paul would, I think Paul would have probably written some pretty, pretty rough letters had it been today. You know, they, people claim to desire unity. Make themselves all they do is make themselves famous and make people doubt more. And it's it's kind of disgusting. Oh man! So Facebook disclaimer: If you see some stuff like that on Facebook, not don't don't get into fa- Facebook arguments. If you're if you're a one hoper, we we don't do Facebook uh, Facebook arguments. Just stay away from those. Um, stay away from those. Oh, there's so many more things I could say, but I'm going to leave that one where it is. Verse 20. For you put up with it if, if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. Uh, but when, in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So it makes, it makes you curious, too, what these apostles were doing. If they put you into bondage, if someone devours you, takes from you, exalts himself, strikes you on the face. I mean, what was this bondage? It could have been some sort of legalism that was, that was taught, possibly. You know, cult, cultic leaders are gen, generally manipulators. Apparently, they were taking money and possessions. Uh, it's amazing how many prosperity preachers and other people get rich off, off of teaching the gospel. They don't lose everything for the sake of Christ. They, they gain what they can. False teachers do. Uh, maybe they struck people publicly who disobeyed. That was a lot more common back then. If, you know, I mean, so when it says if somebody strikes you on the face, that could be metaphorical. That could be legitimate. Somebody came up and confessed sin, and the guy just hauls off and wipes him in the face. and like, you're you know, not worthy. You can go sit in the back. You know, they would probably have some very strong, very strong leaders that were not afraid to do something like that among these false teachers. It seems like Paul's uh, sarcastically saying, you know, you are so smart that you let people in, uh, who abuse you, and man, you just take it. Uh, and Paul says sarcastically to, uh, to, you know, to our shame, we were too weak for that. Paul's really showing the difference between these people. These people are abusing you, and you let them right in. They're teaching things that are not true. I didn't do that. And you, what, you think I'm too weak as a leader? I, they, that, these people that were false teachers were probably saying, Paul, you know, he can't do this. He's, he's, he's you know, he's... He's an okay apostle, but we are super apostles. And Paul's, uh, Paul's saying, you know, I'm sorry, we were too weak to, to, to take advantage of you. A bit, of, uh, a bit more of speaking foolishly um, as he goes on. In verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Like, like that could actually be the truth. I am more. He's, obviously, they're not... Ministers of Christ, but for the sake of argument, let's say they are. I am more. How so? In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. You know, Paul, Paul had a, a, a pretty awesome resume if he wanted to say how, awesome, how great of a person he was. His background, his heritage, the number of languages he sp- spoke, the fact that he was schooled under Gamaliel um, to be a Pharisee, like the top uh, so he's not lacking in any type of biblical understanding as far as from the Old Testament transitioning into the gospel. He's also a Roman citizen. He started, you know, numbers of churches. You know, here's a guy who laid hands on people and miracles happened. He could have talked about all these great things that he did 
how he led large numbers to Christ, how he was commissioned by the church in Jerusalem. He could have said all these things. He said he could have said, you know, look, I've got this, I got this, I got this, I've got this. Do those do your jokers have that? No. Instead of saying that, which he could easily, 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 easily have done, um, he could have given a resume that would have put them to shame as far as for the gospel. But he continues with these verses in twenty four. Five times from the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. And these were severe beatings that happened in the synagogues. And it's been documented that people did on occasion die from these. So these are, I mean, very severe lashings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleepness, sleep, excuse me, sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst and fasting office often, and cold and nakedness. What? That's your credentials of why you're a good apostle because you should be dead. <laughs> you know, that's a weird. I mean, that's the weirdest thing to say. Um, these are your apostolic uh, uh, credentials. You know, if I didn't know you, I would say this sounds like you have uh, had. You know, it sounds like you've had the crap beat out of you by just about everyone, and nobody likes you. And it sounds like a man that has made a whole lot of bad life choices. Maybe you should have read some more books on how to do better seeker-sensitive churches or or something like that. Um, How can one man get in so much trouble and survive? You know, how how is this even possible? But you know a true follower of Christ not by the praise he gets, by what he endures. And he's making a point. Um, Skip that. Verse 28. Besides uh, the other things which he doesn't mention, so he goes through this list, this, 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 and other things that I haven't said, uh, besides the other things, what comes, up, uh, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So if, other than the fact, you know, so his list of, of, of his credentials as an apostle are that he's had all these horrible things for him, and he's always concerned about all the churches. That's what keeps him up at night. That's his passion. He, he could have... Uh, you know, he can endure the physical hardship, yes, um, and he learned to be content with a lot. He learned to be content with a little, but his biggest concern was for other believers, and that was his motivation. In verse 29, who is weak and, and, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? So talking about believers, you know, false teachers generally exploit weakness. So they find somebody with weakness and they find a way to exploit it. When Paul saw somebody with a weakness, he's sympathetic because he knows his weaknesses. And he wants to see um, his brothers and sisters brought up and, and strengthened and encouraged. He's not out there to set himself above somebody. He's, he wants to, to work arm in arm for the gospel. So when he sees somebody as weak, he can, he can empathize. When he sees somebody stumble... He burns with indignation. The Greek word is literally to inflame or set on fire. So another thing that characterizes Paul and one of his qualifications here being you know, a, a, true, uh, a true apostle is the fact that he, when he sees somebody in a week, he's not taking advantage of them. He's there with them in the trenches. When he sees somebody that's made to stumble, he gets angry. And in verse 30 he says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity or my weakness. Again, he's boasting in his weakness and not in his super apostle credentials. In verse 31, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. This is a great setup here for these last verses, which the first time I read them, I'm like, what? So he's setting us up, uh, calling on God as a witness that he's not lying about what he's about to say. So you think it's this awesome thing that he's about to do, but he's bragging more about how weak he is and the fact that he doesn't have any sway with human beings, like with the power of this world. It's like, I'm not lying to you. When I say I'm weak, I'm weak for reals, you know, <laughs> which is kind, of, it's kind of a funny way to set it up. So he says that and goes into verse 32. In Damascus, the governor uh, under uh, Aratus, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with the garrison desiring to arrest me. Now, it's interesting that Paul's talking about Damascus, and he's talking about the situation now where he escaped um, being captured. But if we remember too, the first time, one of the first, one of the first times that we see Paul, uh, or the the biggest thing that happens to him in his life happens on the way to Damascus. You know, he's going with letters uh, of of commendation to go persecute the church. 
They're, they want him here. Uh, come on, Paul. Come here. Throw some people in jail. Scare some people off because the church is growing and we don't want this around here. Uh, so he's going with letters to persecute the church. Now, also in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, or we're back towards the beginning in chapter 3 and verse 3, we see um, Paul says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or, or from you? So likely these people that came in as super apostles had great letters of recommendation. Now, this guy is, uh, would make a great super apostle, and you're like, oh, that's a recommendation from somebody that has some clout. No, that's pretty impressive. And Paul, last time he was on his way to Damascus with letters, was to persecute the church. But we know what happened to Paul. It's the most significant event of his life. Christ spoke to him. He was blinded. He goes to Ananias. He ends up. He accepts Christ, and Christ commissions him. He goes to the to the to the apostles. The apostles commission him, and, and Paul's life is always in danger from that point on, as he's preaching Christ, and eventually his head's going to be chopped off. Um, after he appeals to Caesar and goes to Rome. So his life is, is poured out for the gospel. But, so Paul first goes to Damascus in power to persecute, to persecute the church, and he would probably have been accepted as like, oh, this is Paul. You guys know Paul, right? He's, he's up and coming. People are talking about Paul. We know about him. Under Gamaliel, he's getting some clout. And now he's going in there on the run. <laughs> you know, he's, got no, he's got no standing with, uh, with the powers of this world. Uh, verse 33, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. So here we got the great Apostle Paul who has worked miracles. He shook off poisonous snakes with no effects. You know, he, he was shipwrecked a whole bunch of times. How in the world he was even alive is only by God, literally. I mean, there's no, other, there's no explanation of how a person could endure so much and still be traveling and preaching. But he, even, even with all this, he's no match for the earthly power of his enemies. He's just not. He's just not. So he's sitting here bragging about the fact that he has to be let down in a basket to escape, which is a lowly, I mean, I'm a guy, who are you? I'm the big Apostle Paul who has to escape in a basket out so I don't get, so I don't get arrested. You know, he's, 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 bra- he's definitely bragging on his weaknesses. Paul's not parading himself as a dominant leader or as a man in control like these false apostles he boasts about the fact that he has to suffer for Christ, which is just, man, what a, how powerful, you know? After reading through those verses, it just made me stop and, it made me stop and think and evaluate and just things that, you, that, things that we see in our culture and what we see around the world. Um, so many things that are disheartening, but then so many things that are encouraging, too, as, as the Lord is working and moving. Um, this, after reading all this, it kind of reminded me of something that happened last weekend, um, Tara and I and the girls were out on a hike, you know, and, and uh, we went up on top of a whole bunch of big, tall rocks that were looking out over the water. So we're about 15, 20 feet up in there or something like that, you know, looking at, uh, and we're over a river and we're holding on to our girls. And there's, it's pretty wide up there. There's a place to sit down, but there's no edge and it's just rocks. You could easily fall off the side of it. And I mean, it's a long way down. Uh, maybe would make it, maybe not if you came off of that thing. I don't know. Uh, but we're sitting down and, and looking down the river, and the river's just beautiful. And it's, it's like, man, this is awesome. We're enjoying this moment. And then Naomi starts freaking out because she wants to stand up and walk around. <laughs> and we're like holding her, babe, you can, you can sit here and look. Isn't it beautiful? You have this high up view of the river. You can see forever. You can see the trees. You can see all this. But she was crying because she wanted to get up and go walk around and be free and ha- have this you know, freedom of room. And at one point, Tara's like sitting right next to the edge, and she's trying to fight out of her arms. And like literally, if Tara had let go, I mean, the kid would have fallen 20 feet, 15, 20 feet onto a bunch of jagged rocks in the water. You know what I mean? Where the rapids going. And so we quickly got down from there because that was just not a good situation. When everybody was calm, when everybody was calm, it was fine. But, yes, Naomi definitely ruined that. But I thought, man, you know, human beings can be like that so quickly. You know, we've got, we, we're set up in this, in, um, we can be operating in the arms of God in, in, operating within the confines that we're, that we're supposed to be operating. But sometimes we think we know better. Some human beings think, you know, there's something special and want to do something. But, man, that's what you're, in a da- you're just in a dangerous position when you're not um, under the authority of Christ and under, under the authority of Scripture. And I was, I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, how many, people, how many people who were in a good place and knew the truth have taken the plunge because they, they want a little bit of elbow space and didn't know it was good for them. It's just a, it's a scary thought. And so our prayer for, my prayer for us 
after after reading these verses, you know, you know, thankfully we haven't had a situation like that where we had somebody sneak into our local congregation and try to, you know, to take over some sort of leadership and teach all kind of false things. But man, we've all seen it where things that are definitely not of Christ have snuck in in different ways, and it's and it's scary to think how much influence uh, people that we will never see have on us now. How you know how much influence people that have a lot of worldly wisdom and know how to ask good questions or, or claim to have some sort of new understanding, how much, they have, how much they can have influence on people that are you know, elbow to elbow with us. So we need to be very sure to make sure that we are, we are grounded in the Scripture, that we are not afraid not to have all the answers but be identified in Christ. You know what? Jesus is my answer. You guys are saying something I don't quite understand. you got some questions I can't answer. But you know what? I'm found in Christ. I'm not found in your questions. I'm not found in any of these other things. If we live you know, simple lives of prayer and devotion, there's, now there are tough questions. And if, you know, if, if you're somebody that has some stumbling blocks in your life, there's something that's like, man, I just I, I'm, having, I'm struggling with my faith already because there's this thing that I just can't answer and I can't understand. We want you know, this to be a safe place where you can ask questions, but it's, it's also a place where Jesus is the answer. And if that's ever not enough, then that's, you know, that's going to have to be too bad. You know? Jesus is going to be, Jesus is going to be the answer. We can't, we, we're, we can't compromise who Jesus is and what he's done. And the gospel has to stay pure. We can disagree on a lot of things. I mean, I've talked with elders about different things and there's some things we don't see eye to eye on, but man, we are, we are all in for Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. And if you ever see somebody that's wanting to lead and, man, they're taking advantage of people, always be, always be skeptical of, of, of leaders that aren't at f- primarily humble. If, that is, if, they are not, if you, There are leaders that are great leaders, but always be wary of a leader that's not humble. Uh, and not false humility, because there is the false humility of, well, you know, you know but, but, but real humility where you get to see it, where you get to see it and experience it. Um, let me pray for us, and we'll move into our open time. Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we thank you so much that we have your scripture. We have these words of Paul to see the situation that was going on. And, you know, the church in Corinth at that time didn't have all the, all the New Testament that we have. We're so, we don't have Paul to write us a letter, but, man, we have all these letters of Paul. We have um, these, other, the, these other letters in, in the New Testament, and we have the accounts of Christ and what he taught. And we don't have to wonder. We thank you, Lord, that we have that. We want to be grounded in, in your word, and we want to be followers of Christ. We don't want to be swayed by the wind. We don't want to be swayed by everybody that can ask a difficult question that we can't find the answer to. Lord, we want to be found in you, and we want to be people that influence the world. Lord, I just pray that you would make us believers that have a heart like Christ, that care about people, that we would be people that want to see people go from death to life, that we want to see, we want to see people that are hurting made whole, we want to be givers, Lord. We want to be like Christ. We want to be like Paul where we don't walk around the, the earth with closed hands, Lord, but that we have open hands. We want to see your work get done in this world. We want to see people come to know you. And, Lord, it's, it's, we live in a time that is so difficult, Lord. There's so many influences, not just of false teaching, but things just to, to railroad us and get us away from the gospel, things that get us away from your work, to get us away from the things that really matter. Uh, and I'm I'm just as susceptible as anybody, Lord. I can even I mean, there's so many times, even this last week, Lord, where my focus is just not where it should have been. It was on work. It was on all kinds of other things that have their place, but that aren't the main thing. And Lord, we just pray that you would you would be the main thing for us, Lord. We want to live lives of simple devotion to you. We want to be people that are known as followers of Christ. And Lord, for those of us that have doubts, and we all have them, Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, I just pray that you would use your spirit to grow us, that we wouldn't try to grow from worldly wisdom, that we wouldn't try to grow from having all the answers, but that we would, that we would be people of prayer, people of persistence, um, people that are led by your spirit, not by the spirit of the age, not by humanly wisdom, Lord. And we need you for this, because I, I, know, I know for me that I'm just so susceptible to these things. I think we all have our weaknesses, Lord, and we need you. And I just pray in this, this, time, this time that we have to, to worship you and to sing more songs, that you would be heavy on our hearts, that you would give us resolve. 
that you would show us places where we need to confess sin, that you would show us places where we're vulnerable. And Lord, you know each person in here, you know each need. You know our hurt places, Lord. You know our strengths. You know our weaknesses. Lord, I just pray that you would work in each heart as you see fit. That you would use us for your mission. We pray these things in Jesus' name.